0: 15. Respect
1: all, fear none.
0: Into the upper
1: deck. Intensity yes, is not a you. Oh, mercy! 5, four, three, two, one. From inside the Masson Newsroom, it is... The Masson All Access Podcast, Paul Mancano, joined in person, Inhuman in Flesh, by Brendan Mortensen, no longer on a Zoom call from the Masson safe house somewhere in an undisclosed location. Actually here, Brendan. This is fun stuff. You're back in Baltimore.
2: Yeah, well, the last time I came back to Baltimore, the entire season almost got canceled. So I'm hoping that me coming back now doesn't yeah. cancel the off season. It might a, have. There haven't been any free agency signings, yeah. so maybe I did cancel the off season, and I just don't know it yet.
1: Probably, yeah. There really, it has been a freezingly cold stove. Yes. So very well. Uh, could go that way. Uh, Brendan, this <laughs> your your in person appearance reminds me of oh, during the election coverage. I went down some YouTube rabbit holes of looking back to previous election coverage. As one does, I, I like to yeah. Like to look back one at sure. The production of of like how news stations covered this stuff and I watched in 2000 I think it was CNN had somebody on a hologram of somebody on set and it was like Wolf Blitzer talking to this person he was like well we're beaming you up Scotty uh, you know and it was like a hologram and they're like well this is probably the future of the coverage that we're gonna have and I was that is something that has never translated I've never been watching any news broadcast and they've had a holographic or hologram of a human being on set. It is just something that did not make the the transition. So you are not a hologram. You're actually a physical person.
2: No, I'm, you still caught me on the, that is quite the rabbit hole yeah. there. No, it's that you were watching hologram coverage well, they thought that it of was, past was.: They thought it
1: was like the future, and yeah. they, were, they were rolling with it's it. It's like
2: all the movies from the 1980s that are like, this
1: is what 2020 is going <laughs> to yeah, look like, yeah. and it's all like the flying cars. Yeah, and, No, The Terminator yeah. is, is not. Has the year for The Terminator passed? yet? Like the year that it was supposed Maybe. to happen? That's a good question. I think it was supposed to be like 2014 or something like if that. If you know what year The Terminator was, in the future. In the future, yeah. Please let us know. Exactly. Yeah. 1984 was, was not 1984. Uh, well, Brendan, the reason we didn't have a podcast last week was because I lost my voice for, uh, I thought it was going to be something awful. It really wasn't. And I was able to get it fixed really quickly. Um, but it was probably the best week of, uh, you know, my girlfriend's year, not having to hear me talk for a week. <laughs> so, but I'm zing. we'll yes. stand up there. Uh, all right, Brendan, we got a lot to talk about here on this podcast yeah. because we have been off the air for about two weeks and we're going to talk about some Orioles stuff uh later on in the show I'm also going to have my former boss my former co-worker your former boss your form, former co-worker Olivia Witherite on to discuss an article that she wrote for The Athletic about the Marlins hiring Kim Ang as their GM an awesome uh historic hire uh and her reaction to that but first Brendan the deadline for the additions to the 40-man roster are Friday. We know that Michael Elias likes to take things right down to the deadline, as he did with the Jose Iglesias uh, picking up his option a couple weeks ago. Now the Orioles have 35 guys on their roster, and they have to protect probably a- at least five guys in order to make sure that they're not taken and use Neil Diaz, Michael Bauman, Zach Lowther, Ryland Bannon, Alexander Wells. And there's a f- sixth guy in Isaac Matson that they currently do not have room for in their roster. And they have two days. Do you think that they're going to open up a roster spot to save a spot for Isaac Matson? I think they have to. When you look at Matson, he is so close to the major league
2: level at this point that if another team is looking for guys to pick up in the Rule 5 draft, you would have to imagine that he gets selected. I, I would
1: be shocked if yeah. he didn't. Especially considering how teams, sh- cash-strapped teams are going to be. Right. To get somebody this cheap who hasn't made his debut yet and could be a piece in your bullpen in 2021. And who
2: was very good in the minors. Yes. In
1: 2019, across
2: three levels, he had a two-three-three ERA. So that's somebody who could come up to a major league team right now and make an impact. And I think if you're the Orioles, too, there's got to be a little bit of incentive there to keep Matson because of the deal that you got him in. I think it would be a bad look, like we said, if you don't keep Matson, who was one of the better pieces in the deal that you got for Dylan Bundy. If you don't keep Matson at that point, are you basically just saying, okay, we lost that
1: deal, we'll just fold it in? Well, they, what could happen is they could not protect him and he not and he doesn't get taken which would be that's a big risk though huge risk it's a huge risk and and frankly i don't think that's one that they probably should make they they might try to make it i thought last year honestly this is probably just it's they they obviously know much better about what teams are looking for in the rule five draft and which teams might take guys who they might take um but I thought last year that there was a chance Cody Sedlock might get ta- might have gotten taken just because he was a former first-round pick. Right. He did not get taken, um, and he... Mostly, I think, because he was just not close to Major League ready. He was still with the team that... Um, he was still with, I think, Frederick at that point um, in 2019. So maybe they know something that we don't, but I think as it goes along, I think there is going to be, over the the coming 48 hours or so, I think they are going to add him. I think
2: I think they have to. You mentioned Sedlock, and he just wasn't really close to the major league level. But Matson's right there. I think if you called up Matson to the team next year, he is going to make an impact in a major league bullpen, regardless of whether it's the Orioles or another team. I think he's too good not to call up at this point. Yeah, and, and I think you have to protect him because I would be shocked if he was not selected. So
1: who would they take off the forty man? If they are going to add him, that's whew, that's a good question I th- because I, there's not a lot of room left. There's there's no. I mean, they I think they have to add Diaz, Bauman, Lowther, Bannon, Wells. Right. I think maybe I th- that that's the I'm looking time at the for 40 Pat man. Valaika. Yeah, I'm looking at the 40 man. I think it's probably Pat Faleka. Could me Ramon Urias, Austin Wins, Austin Wins. I would say yes if they weren't short on catcher with Brian Holiday being a free agent at this point, because right. other than that, they only have Pedro Severino and chance Cisco. And I think there's a chance because Severino is arbitration eligible this off season that he is going to be either non-tendered or traded. I would so say I think they want to keep one.
2: I would say the two favorites in my mind right now would be Pat Vileka or maybe Cole Sulser. Because if you're it's a chance, if you're keeping Matson, he probably has a spot in the Orioles bullpen so it would make sense to make room for Matson and to get rid of a bullpen arm yeah. so he naturally is kind of filling that spot. Exactly. So maybe Matson and Cole Sulcer gets DFA'd, but I think out of anyone, it would be a
1: toss-up, in my mind at least, between Sulcer and Pat Valleca. And then eventually, I think December 2nd or December 1st is the deadline where they have to set their 40-man roster before the Rule 5 draft so that... If they want to add somebody, they have to clear room off that 40-man roster. So they could add these five guys and Matson, and get it to exactly 40, and then they might have to non-tender somebody or trade somebody if they want to make a pick in the Rule 5 draft.
2: But I think you would assume that you want to keep at least one
1: spot there for the Rule yeah, 5 draft. I, I would think so too. So one of these, it might be Pavleka and Ramon Urias. It might be Pavleka and... Right. Cole Sulcer,
2: because there's certainly a scenario where we would be surprised if Isaac Matson was not kept. Maybe another team makes a surprising decision and doesn't it's- keep somebody like an Isaac Matson. And if you're Michael Elias, I'm sure you probably want to have the flexibility on your 40-man roster to take somebody in the Rule Five Draft if somebody great is there. Yeah. Uh,
1: so we'll see what happens over the next 48 or so hours, says Michael Elias. But he said he said uh, with the Jose Iglesias addition that. If you are afforded time to make a decision, use as much time as you can, which is what a lot of people, uh, a lot of past presidents have said that as well. Use all the time afforded to you to try to make a decision, Brandon. Wow, it's good life That's the, advice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's talk about the pieces that have come back in some trades. We've started to see some players to be named later added because it is officially later and they have named th- these players. I think most importantly, uh, the Tommy Malone trade, the Orioles got back the two players to be named later they were named and i am shocked brendan shocked at how high a quality they got back in this trade yeah i i think everybody was <laughs> they got a top Quite 30 honestly, prospect for tommy malone they got a top 30 prospect in aj graffinino right who is granted the 30th best prospect in the Orioles system since coming over from the brave system top 30 nonetheless top 30 Uh, that designation counts I think unfortunately Caden Grenier got knocked off the list as he was number 30 so AJ Graffinino comes right into the organization and the other guy that they got is a second baseman named Greg Colon both of these guys are 23 years old let's start with Graffinino uh a shortstop by trade who did not play uh with the exception of one game and one at bat in the 2019 season because he was dealing with concussion issues um in a post that was uh explained on mass by rockabaco um so he missed really the entire 2019 season so all we have to go by is the 2018 season uh for aj graffinino but pretty solid season
2: yeah and you've got a crowded shortstop room Right now with the Orioles prospects, there are a lot of guys near the top of the prospect list that are at that shortstop position. You just added Terran Vavra via trade as well. So I would be surprised if Graffinino is somewhere near the top of that list. But for shortstop, like I've mentioned with the other guys, it's such a premium position that as many rolls of the dice as you can have That's just going to benefit you. And you gave up somebody in Tommy Malone who probably was not going to be on the Orioles next season, if I had to guess. And he really didn't do a ton for you while he was on the team. So the fact that you get a top 30 prospect, yes, he is number 30, but that's still a very good return for Tommy Malone.
1: Malone only made three starts for them. Right, He appeared in three games and had a a double-digit ERA. was... Really bad for them. And and part of that was his first start against the Phillies where he really got hit around, so that didn't affect it. That, for the that Braves, affected yeah. It. yes, for the Braves. That affected it poorly. But I mean this is this is a, a great return. A great return for a guy that you signed on the first or second day of spring training in Sarasota to a minor league contract, started opening day for you, and you got AJ Graffinino and Greg Cullen. Now we'll see what turns into what these guys turn into. Graffanino, he's the son of a big league infielder, Tony Graffanino, who, uh, he's an eighth round pick and actually through his father, he was able to meet and work with JJ Hardy, who ended up being a great uh, mentor. Orioles for him. legend, J. J. Orioles Hardy. legend, JJ Hardy, and was a great mentor for him when he was literally a little kid, just growing up playing baseball. Um, he seems, I mean, if you haven't read the article by Rock AJ seems like a great kid, very smart kid. Um, very and it was very successful back in 2018 um within in the braves organization the rome braves is their single a affiliate he in 37 games there he hit over 300 333 on base percentage had just one homer um but his fielding is supposed to be superb it's graded as a 60 on a scale of what 20 to 80 by prospect by um scouts so he is supposed to be a terrific infield defender in addition to maybe providing a little bit with the bat. Yeah, and I think he probably profiles
2: at a big league level, not as an everyday shortstop, but even if you get a solid utility guy who is good defensively at shortstop, maybe you can try him at second base, third base, because he is a little bit of an oversized shortstop, so maybe he'd fit well at third. But if you get a solid utility guy for a few years at the big league level
1: for Tommy Malone, you'll take that. Yeah, and Greg Cullen is the other guy who's just... Kind of a bonus. Uh, Also played on that Rome Braves team in 2019. A lot more games uh, under his belt for them. 130 games, hit 279 homers. Um, Not a whole lot of scouting on him out there, but uh, he is more the size of an infielder. He's 5'10", as opposed to 6'2", for A.J. Graffinino. Uh, But from what I have read, that he just kind of is an all-around player. Pretty solid defensively and pretty solid at the plate, as his numbers indicate. So Greg Cullen and A.J. Graffinino coming back in that Tommy Malone trade, better than I expected.
2: Yeah, I think better than most people
1: expected. I think from pretty much any measure, the Orioles won this trade. Well, and especially because what we're seeing with a lot of these players to be named later, and I think what we expected, is that a lot of them are recent international signees, um, because that just makes the most sense. Because if they're players to be named later, as we know, they could not be named, a lot of them, because um you know they were not at the alternate site right for their team so they're probably going to be lower level prospects all right brendan you have a little thing for us to talk about
2: i do short term long term short term long term so looking at the orioles in the offseason right now they are probably not going to make any big free agent splashes i think jose iglesias was probably the most action we're going to see from the Orioles. I think we could see maybe a aside from veteran trails. starter in the in a fifth spot in the rotation, maybe. And then, of course, they're going to sign Corey Kluber. But I, I think Jose Iglesias is probably the big action we're going to see. So the 2021 Orioles, aside from the prospects that get called up, are probably going to be a pretty similar team to the 2020 Orioles. So we can look at who played certain positions there. And the game I have is... Uh, three categories or if you want to cheat I cheated on a couple but the three categories that I want to try to group guys into we've got problems short-term solutions and long-term solutions and for position groups that don't have a long-term solution on the current roster who would that long-term solution be is it somebody who's already on the roster maybe a prospect is it a position that the Orioles need to address in free agency or via trade. That's the game.
1: My question is, does it have to be at this position? Could somebody be a long-term solution at a different position than the one that they're currently playing? Not necessarily because I think a guy
2: like Ryan Mountcastle, he's a left fielder as of right now. I have him as a long-term solution at first base. So I think it that doesn't is, necessarily yeah. need I to mean, be that is why a corner outfield. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Okay. All right, let's start with catcher Paul. What Ketcher. Do
1: you, uh, you got Pedro Severino and Chancisco. Yeah. Splitting time for the most part. I think Pedro Severino played uh, the the majority of games, pretty much, and would be going forward if he has kept. But I think the reason that I just mentioned him being a potential trade piece, a potential non-tender uh, this offseason, is because I think that he is more a short-term problem at this point. I think that... He showed tremendous flashes in the first half of the season. First half all-star in 2020. But he really still has not been consistent at the plate. And I think that he is, especially with Brian Holiday on the roster, now no longer. I think Severino was probably the worst defensive catcher on the roster. I think Cisco made strides defensively. I think even Severino got a little bit better last year defensively. But I don't think he was good enough and I still don't think he's good enough to be an everyday catcher. And, of course, they have Adley Rutschman waiting in the wings. So I think that this just kind of negates this whole, com- you know, it, it kind of just eliminates this whole conversation. But I would put Pedro Severino in the short-term problem spot.
2: Yeah, the long-term solution at the catcher spot for the Orioles is is really clear. It's Adley Rutschman, and he is probably going to be making his debut, we hope, maybe in the latter half of 2021. So the question with Pedro Severino and Chance Sisko becomes, okay, are they good enough to play the first half of 2021 to be your starter somewhere? And when Adley Rutschman is your most everyday catcher, which one of them is a more valuable backup? And I think of the two, I would say that I would probably rather have Chance Cisco as a backup right now than I would have Pedro Severino because you're probably not going to be looking for as much offensive production in a backup catcher Severino gives you more offensively he hit 250 with five home runs in 2020 but Cisco is two years younger and he's a much better defender so I would say Severino probably falls into the problem category where I think Cisco falls into the category of a short-term solution and more of a short-term solution for being a backup not necessarily for being the
1: starting catcher for the O's Water gun to your back. Does Pedro Severino get traded, non-tendered, or is he back in the Orioles in 2021?
2: I think he's back with the Orioles because Adley Rutschman just isn't on the team yet, and I think you want both Pedro Severino and Chance Cisco to be contributing at the first half of 2021. I think the ideal scenario for the O's is maybe Pedro Severino plays well offensively like he did at the beginning of 2020, to the point where he has a little bit of trade value at the trade deadline for somebody who's maybe looking for a backup catcher, a DH maybe, because Pedro Severino doesn't give you a ton of value defensively at the catcher spot. Maybe they're looking for a DH. So I think best case scenario, he plays well enough to garner some trade value somewhere else. And then once Adley Rutschman comes up, you can just use Chance Cisco
1: as your backup catcher. I think he is estimated to make about 1.7 million dollars in arbitration this year per mlb trade rumors i think if i had to guess right now i think that he gets either non-tendered or traded but i don't know what kind of trade value he would have at this point
2: i i I just think he stays on the team because you're going to be hard pressed to find a second catcher somewhere yeah and you do need one
1: and you need one you you can't just have chance cisco rolling into the year well you could have chance cisco and austin wins if you want to bring but he the fact i think the fact that he did not make an appearance in a game last year and they went with Brian holiday as their third catcher, I think speaks to what the organization kind of thinks of him. Right. Um, And if they can I think if they can get a cheaper option on the market, they might try to do that. But yeah, I think it's going to be, they're going to have to get some guys at catcher. Um, regardless, because I Adley Rutschman is not going to be starting opening day, unfortunately, in 2021.
2: But he'll be there at some point, and it's pretty clear that he is the long-term solution. Another position that I have a long-term solution for, I already gave it away, but that's first base going around the diamond. Ryan Mountcastle, I think, is the long-term solution there. I don't see him as the long-term solution in left field. I just, he's okay defensively in left field, but I think he can develop as a pretty good first baseman defensively, even if he's not in a corner outfield spot, I think first base is a better position for him, like we saw with Trey Mancini. Trey Mancini was decent in right field, not amazing, but I think he profiles better at first base. So I have Mountcastle as the long-term solution there. I think he's also the short-term solution because he probably will be the 2021 first baseman for the O's if I had to guess. I can't imagine they would keep putting him in left field with the amount of outfielders that you'll have healthy for next season. And I think Mancini is also, he's teetering on the line for me between short-term solution and long-term solution. He's definitely a solution long-term. I think maybe Trey Mancini, you know, three, four years down the road. I don't know, but for right now, Trey Mancini is giving you a lot of value at that first base DH spot. So I think Mancini is certainly Solution, I'm just not sure how long-term it is.
1: Well, we haven't talked much at all in this podcast and understandably about what we can expect from Trey Mancini next year because obviously we have been more focused on him just getting through chemotherapy treatments and him most recently now getting back into the cage and taking swings, which is awesome to see. Um, But at some point, we're going to have to see if he is the same level of player in 2021, and there there are no guarantees that he is. In theory, we were talking about last year adding you re you know you re- reintegrate Trey Mancini into this lineup, and what a powerful lineup that could be. Hopefully, Trey is the same guy, but we don't know that at this point because it is so much to undergo what he has undergone over the past year or so, and or eight months or whatever it has been since March, and for him to come back is one amazing for him to just get back on the field and and it is fully expected that he will do that but we just don't know if he's going to be the same guy and and that you know that's understandable of course um and especially after missing a year i mean he's going to miss a year of of baseball you know he can work out but he he has not taken swings in in a batting cage for months so he can work this off season but he does have some catching up to do so i we're just I think that the question of whether he can be a long term or short term solution for them is gonna depend on what we see from him in twenty twenty one.
2: Yeah, it's it's to be determined. Yeah, I think we're gonna see what we get from Trey Mancini in the twenty twenty one season. Regardless, it's awesome that the Orioles are going to be getting any production out of Trey Mancini. Yeah. From for what he has been through Seeing Trey Mancini on the field for the Orioles again is going to be fantastic. Everybody is really looking forward to it. And I I think there will be an evaluation period there to see if he's a long-term solution somewhere. I'm being optimistic that I think he will be somewhere between that first base DH spot. The other guys who saw time at first base last season, I think Chris Davis is obviously a problem with the contract situation there. Don't need to spend a ton of time on Chris Davis. Renato Nunez is an interesting one. I have him as a short-term solution at DH, but we've talked about it before. I think there's a chance that Renato Nunez is kind of the odd man out with the crowded outfield, with the crowded first base spot. I don't know how much value Nunez is going to give you, but as long as he's on the roster... I think he gives you enough production from a DH role that he is a short-term solution
1: at first base. Eh. Prob- he's Maybe, not good
2: defensively at first.
1: Base, I don't think he, yeah. But, I mean, I don't think he's a problem. He's not a right. problem as a D designated hitter right now, but the only thing that's problematic is the fact that he is another arbitration eligible guy and he does not have a clear defined spot in 2021 other than DH, which he may be competing for, Uh, if they put malcastle at first and if they have trey mancini back uh as dh so he just may not have a spot for him you know and and that's that's less of a a knock on him and it's more just about you know the fact that uh they just don't really have a spot for nato nunez most likely in 2021 so i i just don't i don't at this point i we've talked about i don't anticipate him coming back i think they could trade him but if he does I guess a short-term solution at DH. Yeah, he's he's a power bat
2: in the middle of the lineup, if nothing else.
1: Yeah. Uh, All right. Second base, Hanser Alberto.
2: I have Hanser as a short-term solution. Yeah, me too. I think he is probably not going to be your long-term answer at second base. He does hit for pretty decent average. He had 283 last season, but had kind of a down year from what we were expecting, I think. I think we were expecting that average to even be a little bit higher than 283. The OPS under 700 wasn't great. He hit 305 in 2019, and I think people were expecting him to hit closer to the 300 range, at least what you were hoping for. But either way, I think your long term solution at second base is probably a prospect. I would imagine that there are going to be some of those shortstop prospects that we talked about that just don't pan out necessarily at shortstop, but maybe you can move them over to second base and see if they give you any value there. I can't see Hans Roberto being the long-term answer at second base for the Orioles, but for right now, I think he's serviceable enough at second base, at
1: least for 2021 and
2: maybe 2022.
1: Yeah, if you were to ask me who I think the second baseman will be in 2022 or 2023, on Sir Alberto or the field, I would take the field. Right. Because I I think that Gunnar Henderson, probably more of a third baseman if he does move, but you have Gunnar Henderson, you have Terran Vavra, who's playing in the outfield now, uh, Jordan Westberg. You have all these guys that are right there now, all of a sudden, um, that could be your Rylan Bannon, even, who we could see in 2021, uh, could be a uh, long-term solution at second base. There is a chance, I think, Hanser gets traded also this offseason. I don't think he'll get non-tendered, but I think there's a, a chance because he's another arbitration-eligible guy. So we're going to be bringing up a lot on this podcast, but I, I agree. I think he's a short-term solution at this point, but he's a really fun one to watch.
2: He is. If I were to put my money on a 2023 Orioles second baseman, I would probably say Rylan Bannon.
1: 2023? Yeah, 2023. He's, I mean, he's the biggest contender at this point. But we'll see what, what the other guys do through the organization. Right. That, that's kind of how levels? I'm organizing my... is
2: they Are they a, a long-term or a short-term? Long-term for me is if they are on the Orioles' opening day lineup in 2023. The only thing that's I think is, is Bannon
1: doesn't have the ceiling that Westberg, Bavre, right. um Henderson have.
2: But for now, hans Roberto, short-term solution, yeah. I think, at second base. Third base, I think there's a lot of problems at third base yeah is what i have rio ruiz i categorize as a problem yomer sanchez i also categorize as a problem not because i don't think he's a decent utility guy but if yomer sanchez is your answer at third base that that's not the correct answer
1: yeah and and he may not even be on the team in 2021 right i mean he mike Elias gave out some praise for him when they picked him up off waivers, but also said, yeah, but it's early in the off season. So we might put him back on waivers and he could disappear in a month or so. So, uh, yeah, Rio Ruiz is, I thought there was a real chance. I was optimistic on him going into the 2020 season. We saw how great he was in spring training. He was gangbusters to start the season and he really fell off the mat. So I think that this is a clear problem area for the Orioles at this point. It's the reason they picked up Yulmer Sanchez, I think, um, and this is fits into the same category of you have these shortstop, you know, infield prospects at this point who are still at the lower levels, maybe changing positions at some point. Maybe this is a spot for Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Westberg, Taryn Vavra, those type guys.
2: Yeah, that would be my guess for long term solution is one of Jordan Westberg or Gunnar Henderson. Yeah. Is, is who I said for the long term answer at third base. Ruiz is tough because he shows you flashes of the third baseman you really want Rio Ruiz to be. And then he just goes on these cold streaks and he's had enough opportunities at this point where, you know, if he doesn't come out at the beginning of the 2021 season and look unbelievable, I think it's probably time to look elsewhere. Well, and we
1: we saw him make improvements in some areas. His power was much better. He got huge during the shutdown, but his his plate discipline has to improve. And unless it improves quickly he's kind of fighting for a roster spot at that right. point. Um all right, so we've gone around the oh, shortstop. Yeah, last infield spot. Yep.
2: Jose Iglesias I think is pretty clearly a short-term solution. Yep. Iglesias, I would be surprised if he was on the Orioles past this season unless you want to sign him to another one-year deal. But Iglesias provides you a lot offensively apparently, which nobody <laughs> thought he would. And he's a really solid defensive shortstop. He's not going to be the answer in 2023. Again, we've talked about it for three different positions now, but the depth that the Orioles have at the shortstop position in their prospects is fantastic. And I would be shocked if one of those guys doesn't pan out to be a really good shortstop at the major league level. So I think one of those guys is going to be your long-term answer. But for right now, you're happy with Jose Iglesias at shortstop and Richie Martin backing him up, I I don't think he's quite a problem and I don't think he's quite a solution.
1: I think he'll probably look to upgrade there as a backup. I think another guy that 2021 will tell because we haven't gotten a year of him and and they were hopeful that he would make improvements on his rookie year in 2020 and we just didn't get to see him play.
2: Shortstop as a whole for the Orioles, short-term, you're looking
1: good. Yeah, I think so. Well, long-term, I think you're looking good too. That is... That as well. We'll we'll see what pans out. All right, let's go to the outfield. Outfield is a logjam.
2: Right now, I think, personally, I've got three long-term solutions in the outfield. The first one being Austin Hayes. The second being Anthony Santander, because I think he has shown consistent improvements offensively and and defensively. I mean, this guy was a finalist for the gold glove, which is kind of crazy i
1: think it's a little ridiculous i mean
2: he he it might speak more to the quality of right fielders than yeah American well league. it is
1: probably also the easiest position on the diamond to play right but he's gotten better there you he have has, to give he him made credit some for spectacular that. plays i right. don't know if he was solid defense like he he uh, metrically what eight defensive runs saved but yeah i don't know i i don't i i, I think you're right i think it speaks more to the uh Quality. And he also only played 37 games. I don't know how you can yeah. give Well, a guy that. So give, me, give me Austin good, Hayes it, it's good for him. as it a is.
2: long-term solution. Give me Anthony Santander as a long-term solution. And give me Cedric Mullins as a long-term what? solution. I don't, uh, hear me out. I don't think Cedric Mullins is your answer for the future in center field. What I think Cedric Mullins is, is a long-term solution as a fourth outfielder. Okay. I don't think Cedric Mullins should be your opening day every year center fielder. He just doesn't give you enough offensively at this point unless he comes back in 2021 and hits like 400 with bunting every single at-bat. But he's great defensively, and I think he has a real opportunity to cement himself as a really good fourth outfielder if he isn't your everyday center fielder. Because he can play any position in the outfield, more than likely, because if you're a really good center fielder defensively, you can probably play the corner outfields pr- pretty well. And if he isn't going to be your answer every day, have him be your fourth outfielder. And I think he's a long-term solution
1: there. I just think this, this is just a... That spot at this point, you can kind of pencil him in, but also we have not seen Neil Diaz play yet. Right. Uh, we have not seen Ryan McKenna play yet. We have not seen Heston Kerstad play yet. So I think that that is, it may be for 2021, 2022, sure. But I, you look down the line to when this team is start to be really good again. And I, that, that position is going to be hard and, and kudos to Cedric Mullins because he had a much better year than most expected. He figured out exactly how to get on base and how to be valuable to this team and he, of course, as, as Brandon Hyde said, probably should have been in consideration for a finalist spot for a gold glove because he was that good defensively. Um, I just don't know if I can call him a, a short, a, a long-term solution at this point.
2: I, I think there's going to be a battle in center field going forward between Austin Hayes and Cedric Mullins.
1: I, I think it's going to be an exciting, I mean, we talk, it's going to be a thrilling thing to watch. Maybe the most exciting thing to watch next year is the outfield group and yeah. and where austin hayes is going to be is right. he is, they tried him out in left last year they tried him out even in, in right and and he was solid but he can also still play really good defensive center field is he going to be your long-term center fielder is he going to be a, are they going to shift him over to left where is Usneel diaz going to play i don't think he's a center fielder i think he's more of a corner outfielder i think diaz is probably going to be a right fielder if i had to guess
2: which then what do you do with anthony santander there's just there's a ton of prospects and, then you and you've got three guys at the major league level right now that I think have the ability to be
1: answers in the outfield spot for years down the line. Well, you also have Anthony Santander, Yusniel Diaz, and Heston Kerstad. Not all three of them can play right field. Well certainly at once. not with that attitude. N- not with any attitude, Brandon, <laughs> Unless they split every game evenly and they carry all three of them on the thirty five man roster. Uh that will keep expanding every The
2: 35-man roster will consist of 17 outfielders
1: Yeah, yeah I think They're, that's the only way It's going to go from 26 to 28 to 31 to 35 And you just carry him for the whole year uh, No, but I mean, this, this outfield group is is going to be fascinating to watch And McKenna is another guy that can play center field That I think will get his shot in 2021 So how much we see McKenna, how much we see Diaz Is going to be interesting to watch Yeah should we talk about the pitchers? We should. Starting rotation. Who of the guys in the starting rotation do you think is a uh, long term solution? I've got two and
2: a half long term solutions in the starting rotation. First being John Means, because I don't know if John Means is going to be a starter in the Orioles rotation for seven, eight years. But I think for the next three, four years down the line, I would be surprised if John Means wasn't in your rotation. I think the second long-term solution I have is Dean Kramer. I think he showed you enough really good stuff last season that he has at least cemented himself as a starter for next season, I think beyond as well, because his stuff is really good. And I think Kramer has shown you enough flashes that he can be a really good starting pitcher. And that last start against the Red Sox inflated his ERA, so his season numbers didn't look that great. But I think Kramer, more, than, more so than Keegan Aiken, has cemented more of a role in the starting rotation. Keegan Aiken is my half because I think he is a long-term solution somewhere. I think Keegan Aiken could be a number four, number five in the Orioles starting rotation if some of your other prospects don't pan out. But if some of the other prospects who are a little bit more highly rated than Keegan Aiken pan out, then maybe Aiken gets bumped to the bullpen. I think either way, he's going to be an effective pitcher for the Orioles, whether it's the starting rotation or the bullpen remains to be seen. So I've got two and a half in the starting rotation, Keegan Aiken being a toss up between whether
1: he's a solution as a starter or a reliever. I'm with you there. I'm with you there. I think Dean Kramer was, aside from that last start, even though his numbers are going to look... Just very similar to Keegan Aikens at the end of the year. I think Dean Kramer, by the eye test, by the metrics, was the more impressive pitcher this year. Uh, He he had three terrific, terrific starts against good teams. He was outstanding. Um, And it was just that fourth start that is to be expected, and, and that just inflates his ERA when you only make four starts. I think Dean Kramer has a real chance to be a good, maybe number three starter down the line yeah which it could be thrilling when you have Dio Hall and Grayson Rodriguez at the top of that rotation right Uh, and John Means I think has at least shown that he deserves a spot in the rotation and the second half of the season that we saw from him was outstanding so he's there's no reason to not call him a long-term solution at this point but Keegan Aiken I agree with you I I mean he's not going to be a back end of the bullpen guy because of um, his he doesn't have the repertoire for that so if he can cement himself in the rotation that'll help but other than that, I think his spot on a team is probably going to be a sixth, fifth, long uh,
2: long relief. And maybe a swing man, yeah. too, if the Orioles need another guy in the rotation. The other two spots in the rotation, personally, I think are both problems. Alex Cobb, when he is healthy, I think has the potential to be a short-term solution. But my thing with Alex Cobb is that... He's never healthy. Well, he's... A, <laughs> had obviously his injury issues but my personal thing with Alex Cobb is that he is going to be taking up a spot in the rotation because you gave him a 30 million dollar contract but when you've got all of these prospects coming up like an Alexander Wells like a Michael Bauman you want to start those guys yeah but not yet maybe not yet but I think a year or two down the road you're probably going to be wishing that those guys were starting instead of Alex Cobb and Alex Cobb two years from now, right? He still has two years left on his deal. He's got one year left. Oh, I thought he had two. No, this yeah. is the last year. Oh, well,
1: <laughs> I guess I'm just wrong then, but yeah, I mean, he's got, he's got money backloaded. That's the problem is right. he has deferred money after the 2021 season, but he, this is his final year on his deal. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken. So I, I, I don't have an issue with it. I think, The ideal scenario is that he has an uh, uh, Andrew Kashner-type season where he starts having a career year in his first eight starts. They find a team like the Red Sox that is desperate for starting pitching, and they offload him somewhere and maybe eat some of the money on the back end of his contract. And then you have a spot open for a Michael Bauman, a Zach Lowther, and Alexander Wells. But I don't think he really hurts you to start the 2021 season. Uh, because I I think that that spot is is not yet there for anybody I I don't think Bruce Zimmerman you know was knocking down the door with his couple starts that he had under his belt I think he was fine but I don't think at to start the year I don't think Alex Cobb is taking a spot away from him maybe by July or August he's going to be doing that
2: yeah and that's where my issue becomes with Alex Cobb if he's on and off healthy and you can't really get any trade value for him and then he pitches at the back end of the season and is taking spots away from the prospects that you want to be pitching yes so Cobb not
1: quite a problem not quite a solution yeah I I think at this point he's probably a short-term solution he did pitch almost all of his starts that he was available for he made in in 2020 it's just a matter of can he be healthy and can he have a good first half of the season? They don't even need a full for good season from him. They need a good first half of the twenty twenty one season from Alex Cobb in order to offload him. Yeah. All right, Bullpen.
2: Bullpen, I've got two guys who I think are long term solutions, being Hunter Harvey and Tanner Scott. I think those are the two guys that you can look at and say that they will probably be in the Orioles bullpen for at least a few years down the line. There's other ones that are teetering the line a little bit. I think Paul Fry has the potential to be in the Orioles bullpen for a few years down the line. But as of right now, I would classify him as a short-term solution. The surprising thing is I was going through the bullpen. There are more short-term solutions than problems. Yeah. Which is a big change from the year before. I've got Paul Fry, Valdez, Armstrong, and Lakens as short-term solutions. I think Lakens teeters the line of problem a little bit, but he was decent enough last year. I think really the only guy who you would classify as a problem in the Orioles' bullpen for 2021 is Cole Sulcer, yeah. who
1: might not even be on the team next year. And you may be forgetting about Dylan Tate, who I think has a chance right. to be a long-term solution as well. He I could think be. The, what we saw from Dylan Tate was pretty much what was hoped for him when they traded for him uh so i think that dylan tate has a chance to stick in this bullpen long term i'm with you i think um hunter harvey just what they have invested in him time wise years wise rehab wise they're gonna hold on to him i think if they can and they're gonna see if he can be healthy and he can be productive down 2020 season for him uh but i think he still has a chance given his the fact that he's got this blistering fastball and great off speed i think they still v- envisioned him as an eighth ninth inning guy yeah he's
2: got the stuff for it absolutely he just needs to put it all together and I think he was better in 2019 than he was in 2020 he'll admit that as well that he had a bit of a down yes. 2020 yeah. like you said so I think we'll see a bounce back for Monter Harvey and hopefully we get a season where he doesn't
1: have to deal with injuries yeah yeah and and Sean Armstrong I think is another guy that uh probably a more of a short-term solution even though he was outstanding in 2020 he was terrific, uh, but. I think that they will probably look to trade him because of his age. I'm there with you with Paul Fry too. I think that it could be a trade piece as well. Could be a trade piece. But
2: looking at the Orioles roster as a whole, there's a good amount of long-term solutions and there aren't a lot of problem spots. No. Right now, I think the position group that you would look at and say, okay, that's probably the biggest problem spot is third base because there's not really a short-term or long-term solution there right now. But we talked about the shortstop prospects again I think one of those guys is pretty close to being an answer at third base
1: yeah that that could that's a problem that could be solved if we start seeing Gunnar Henderson in spring training taking reps at third base and he looks great and they right. decide to move him or, or whatever whatever happens there I think that that's that's a real chance uh, to be a, a long-term solution yeah they they're they're set I mean Michael Eisman he took over this that there were a lot of problem areas and there were some guys you you squinted at in the system and you could say okay he could be a good guy down the line they're pretty deep at most positions at this point in, in terms of minor league talent and prospect talent and they just have a chance to to grow that this offseason if they make some trades of some veterans as well
2: yeah and I wouldn't even say that you need to go out and make a ton of trades or sign anybody big in free agency i think as of right now it's just kind of a waiting game you wait for those guys in the system to come up and they'll fill those holes that you have on the team right now like that fourth and fifth starter that the orioles could be looking for that's probably a problem spot right now like third base you've just kind of got to wait out those prospects
1: and when they get there hopefully they will turn in to the long-term solutions exactly will be fun to watch this offseason of course as always stick with the mass and all access podcast uh, we will have you covered, as, as Masson Sports will, as well. Uh, thanks to Bobby Blanco, by the way, behind the scenes. But we're not yet done, because we still have Olivia Witherite, the great former Masson social manager, and, of course, the current athletic uh, social media manager there as well. I had her on to discuss Kim Ang and the article she wrote about her, her. Here's our conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, we are now pleased to be joined... By my good friend, my former boss and former coworker, Olivia Witheright, who is the manager of social engagement currently with The Athletic. You probably know her best from her days at Masson as the social media manager, marketing digital. She did literally everything that was to be done at Masson behind the scenes, and of course, uh, you probably already follow her on Twitter. But Olivia, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thanks, Pauly. Missed you guys.
1: (laughs) I figured we would probably start with uh, going back and telling uh, embarrassing stories from winter meetings of years past and then start from there.
0: Um, How long is this? (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: This is going to be a a multi-series interview here. Um, But, Olivia, let's let's start with uh, the article that you just recently wrote for The Athletic because uh, you are not typically a writer for The Athletic. Uh, you weren't typically a writer for Massinsports.com, even though you occasionally dabbled in the writing side. Uh, but when you do write, it's always excellent because you always have a, a great command, I think, uh, of the, the skill of writing. Um, but you, the piece that you most recently wrote for The Athletic, um, which was a personal piece uh, about Kim, Kim Ang, what led you uh, to writing it? And were you encouraged by anybody? Or was this something that you pitched... Uh, and wanted to go forward with.
0: Yeah, so I wrote a tweet about how much the hiring meant to me personally, um, as an Asian American woman. And one of my coworkers at the Athletic, one thing that I really enjoy about working here is that we're really encouraging uh, newsroom. And so one of my friends who covers the Raiders actually reached out to me and said, "Hey, I saw your tweet." I think you should write something about it, which at the moment had not crossed my mind at all. Like you said, I'm a little rusty when it comes to writing and um, I enjoy writing and like tweets and short form and things like that. So to kind of put something so personal into longer form was intimidating, but that's sort of how it came about. It's just an encouragement from someone um, on the staff and I'm really glad that they did reach out.
1: And of course, Kim Ang is the first woman executive uh, GM in baseball, and the one the first in professional American sports. In addition to being the second uh, person of Asian descent to rise to the level of GM in baseball, when this announcement was made by the Marlins that Kimang had gotten that position after she had had numerous interviews over the years, and even was had had her name brought up uh, when the Orioles were looking to hire a GM, a president of baseball operations, when they eventually hired Mike Elias but numerous teams over the years had her name brought up and she finally broke through and got the job. What was your reaction when the news broke a few days ago?
0: I was just so happy and ecstatic. Obviously I knew who she was from, um, you know, news cycles in the past, but all of those interviews had really never come to fruition, but I felt a sense of like personal pride. I see, um, there is a lot to be said for representation and seeing someone who looks like you um, break through that glass ceiling. So it was just honestly elation. And it was just really amazing to see her. And I think even more so when she was introduced on Monday, just to see how she answered questions and fielded questions, not just about her being you know, a trailblazer in the industry, but also just how she spoke about the future of the game and the future of um, the Marlins and within the Miami community, I just thought was really inspiring.
1: yeah, yeah, and and for anybody that hasn't heard her speak yet uh, publicly, she obviously is very, very intelligent and can speak very well uh, about a wide range of topics. And the fact that you you mentioned the the interviews that she had had before and the opportunities that were not afforded to her over the years, despite the fact that she was working in this industry and had a wealth of experience and and probably a lot more experience than a lot of the people that were picked for GM's jobs ahead of her. What does that say about the state, not just of baseball, but of all of American sports and professional sports in particular, that it took so much and so many years for her to finally break through?
0: Yeah, you know, I don't work like on the baseball side, uh, side of things, so I can't say I know everything as far as the intricacies of it go, but she obviously is overqualified for that role. I mean, she has multiple World Series rings. She was um, an assistant GM when she was like barely older than me, which is actually crazy to think about. Um, so it, I think that it was a really long time coming, and I'm just happy to see her where she is today.
1: Yeah. And and your reaction obviously I think was a reaction that a lot of people had across the industry. And there's a lot of talk also about what this means for a new generation, a younger generation of uh female baseball fans, of young girls watching this, uh, and people of Asian descent as well watching this, um, that are of a younger generation. What would a young Olivia's reaction to this be? And and do you think that this would mean um even more to a young Olivia to see somebody like this rise to that level and to have somebody to look up to uh, in the world of baseball?
0: That's a really good question. I think when I was growing up in the 90s, I didn't really know that much differently. Like if I watched TV, most of the people on the kids shows I watched were white. And then when I started getting into baseball, the broadcasters and the writers that I read were white people and a lot of times white men. So I think Subconsciously, I sort of just thought that that's the way things were, you know, that's what entertainment looked like. That's what sports looked like. So I think younger Olivia would be, um, maybe not realize the direct impact of it, but hopefully as, um, young girls and young people of color are watching Kim Ang, you know, on a national stage and in the public spotlight, they'll be able to see someone that looks just like them doing the same thing.
1: Yeah. And, and that's something that you talked about as well. in in your article, the kind of, Ah, uh, the way that you grew up with uh, kind of a, a colorblindness that your parents uh, and generations before, I guess, kind of instilled in you as you went through a, a high school that was mostly white. Um, and then you enter the field of baseball, which is of course, predominantly white and predominantly male. Um, in in going through and going through the writing process of this article, what kind of what kind of memories were you bringing up about um, you know, obviously you still work in baseball? Um, but in particular, Masson um, and, and being around the, the ballpark every single day for so many years. What kind of memories do you have about kind of going through um, the baseball world and coming to the realization um, that colorblindness is probably not the best way uh, to to go through this?
0: Yeah, so I was raised um, with a lot of like love and respect. That's what I was taught, but I just didn't realize, I guess, that like who I am as a person and like my descent and my heritage is something that I should be really proud of. Um, So by the time I did make it to baseball, I was still kind of undergoing that like self-realization, I guess. Um, And it sounds silly because this was not that long ago. Um, I want to say it was. I guess 2016 when Hyunsoo Kim played for the Orioles and I kind of looked around and saw like a lot more people who you know looked like me and who cared about baseball and were there just to do their jobs that's it you know and I think that that was sort of a wake-up call for me and again I was like well into adulthood then I don't think it should have taken uh, that long but when I looked around and kind of saw uh, again, like people who just looked like me going about their jobs and doing a really amazing work. I was like, oh, this is a lot different than what I'm used to on the every day, which is what I had gotten used to, uh, which was just, you know, a lot of people who sort of looked the same and thought the same and talked the same, um, coming to the ballpark every single day. Yeah,
1: and, and having peop- having that kind of diversity, like you, you talked about, people that that look the same, that talk the same, and then adding more voices that are not the same and more voices that come from different places. How important do you think that is for the future of baseball?
0: Huge. I mean, you look at a lot of these young guys coming up now, and then you look at someone like Kim Ang, too, or just bringing a lot more voices and a lot more people who could be interested into baseball into the game. So I think it's really huge just to open those doors and broaden the horizons and get more people interested and then say, like, hey, look, here is what baseball is. I know it's a game that you and I love. And I think that the more people that can see it um, on a day-to-day basis, the better. So I'm hoping that this just really um, diversifies the fan base. And then when you do have a more diverse and open fan base too, that alone does a lot for the sport. So I'm definitely hoping that this higher and A lot of the guys starting to come up and debut in the next few seasons will have a lasting impact on the game.
1: Absolutely. Uh, And not just did you write a great article, but it also blew up on social media just a little bit. How great was that to see everybody kind of the the reaction that you got to writing that article? Some big time uh, reporters, some big time writers posting this saying worth a read. What was your reaction to the reaction to the article?
0: Okay. So, you know, I work in social, you know, I love retweets and when things go uh, viral, not like this one viral, but get a lot of attention, but then when it, yeah, I guess. But then when you see something like that and it's so personal about, and it's about me, I'm like, Oh my gosh. I like turn my tweet (laughs) notifications off. I was like, I don't want anyone to like look at it. It's like, I'm so much shyer and I think that is why I work behind the scenes is because I love seeing success happen to other people and when I can help promote other people's work, that's awesome. When it was mine, I definitely had some anxiety, but I was really actually truly grateful for the people that had shared it. Um, People within the athletic were really awesome about sharing it. Like Mark Carrig, who also wrote a really amazing piece on what it's like for his daughter who is Asian to grow up um, with someone like, Kim Ang in the front office and a lot of other people within the company, but then some others too outside of it. And, you know, that's sort of, I guess, more than anything, I wrote this for myself, I wanted to, it was really therapeutic for me to kind of reflect on what this means to me and in, in a grander scheme, like where I am um, personally, but if it impacted some other people, which I got some really nice notes and emails too, I'm, I'm happy that it, did get some attention, even though I'm shy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The the only thing I am mildly upset about is that Kim Kardashian didn't retweet it. Knowing your history with Kim Kardashian retweets.
0: I know. So one Kim Kardashian retweet, which I think I have at the top of my resume now, it's all I ever need. You should
1: print it out and frame it.
0: Yeah, like, oh, are you good at social? Well, look at this tweet. Kim Kardashian retweeted my (laughs) terrible tweet once.
1: Yeah, it it was not even your best tweet by a by a lot,
0: by a lot. You yeah. know, like I expect her to go through all of my old content and peruse it, but you know, whatever.
1: Uh, of the tweets, we've talked about this on the podcast before because we've had you on the podcast back when you were a Masson employee. But uh, do you still have favorite tweets from your times running Masson Orioles Mass National social media?
0: Oh my gosh, I do miss it because. I just loved those fan bases. I was like so plugged in and I sort of knew what would work and what people would react to and things like that. It was really fun. I don't know if I have a necessarily favorite tweet from Masson, but there are some good ones. They're all all involved around some stupid pun. I think that is (laughs) the baseline there.
1: I I still think uh, my favorite was the uh, Red Sox JK tweet. Where they had the players' oh, jersey yeah. names?
0: That's true. That was a really, really good one.
1: Yeah. I, I, what player was it on the Red Sox that had uh, JK? Joe
0: oh, it, right. Yeah. Which, wow, full circle, because <laughs> yeah. then he made it the meme that keeps on giving. So, yeah. you know, I was of the curve.
1: Wow. Yeah. Maybe he was inspired.
0: Probably. He probably saw my tweet or the one that Kim Kardashian retweeted.
1: Yeah. Because everybody, the f- 400 million followers uh, saw that as well. Um, but, yeah, Olivia, you're back in the in the Baltimore, Maryland area uh, at the time being, of course, during this shutdown. Is it good to be back home? Uh, obviously, you couldn't go to Orioles games over the summer, but at least to be kind of around the same area uh, that you grew up and around Orioles fans?
0: It's cold. I got used to California weather real quick, so that's kind of a bummer. But... On the flip side, I have eaten crabs like every single week, so <laughs> a good trade-off. I, it is nice being back. I um, Maryland is my home. I will always claim it as that, and I uh, loved being here. I love living in Baltimore City, and um, the place. This place means a lot to me, so it is nice to be back.
1: Yeah, it's good to have you back, and it's good to have you on the Mass and All Access podcast because anybody who knows Olivia knows she doesn't like talking publicly if she can avoid it, and especially not about herself. Uh, so to get her to do this interview uh, was, I think, a small miracle.
0: I think you're making my head <laughs> Um
1: Olivia, thank you so much for hopping on. And of course, if you have an Athletic subscription, uh, one, if you don't, you should probably get it. But two, if you, if you do, uh, definitely check out Olivia's article on the Athletic about the hiring of Kim Ang as the Marlins GM. But Olivia, thank you so much.
0: Thanks, Paul. Thanks